And they were like, well, the reason this and this, and I said, wait a second, stop. Don't even, don't even start. <laughs> if you have to explain it, it's not working, period. Because you don't get a chance to explain your story. You know, if you put it in a book or a comic or a movie, like you don't get a chance to sit there next to the reader or the audience while they're enjoying it and say, okay, now you understand that this is why. For many of us as a kid, thumbing through a comic book could transport us to other worlds. Flying through the universe at the speed of light. Watching immortal enemies battling to the death. And some of us never grew out of it. Welcome to the Under the Mask podcast, where we discuss the super process behind superheroes. Not just superheroes, aliens, horror, Thrillers. If you can find it on a comics page, you can find it here. Here, you'll learn how to make comics. From the initial outlines, scripts, and artwork, to printing and putting the final book in a bag and board. For many years, Bill Colomb has written his book, Kinetic, and sold thousands of copies across the nation. And now we're inviting you along for an inside look to the comics process. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book... You're in the right place. This is the Under the Mask Podcast, and this is Bill Cologne. Under the Mask Podcast, Episode 17. What's the ultimate goal for your creative career? I'd say most would say the ability to make enough money to support yourself doing what you love. My guest today has done just that for over 20 years. My guest today wrote the book on writing comics and storycraft. Literally. He's a freelance story consultant, developmental editor, and writer. But even more amazingly, he's been doing this continuously for over 20 years. His latest work, a dark fantasy martial arts action comic set in the gritty streets of 1970s New York, is live on Kickstarter through August 4th. You can find it at peerlesskungfucomic.com. I'd like to introduce Nick Makari. Nick, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, man. Appreciate me being here. First thing, I want you to uh, go ahead and tell everybody about your story. Uh, who are you and how did you get to be with us here today? Um, okay, that's a big question. Who am I? Under the Mass podcast listeners, my name is Nick McCary. You can find me writing, editing, story consulting, almost exclusively for indie comics and games. You know, I, I do stuff in novels and screenplays and, you know, pretty much anything in written format, but uh, mostly indie comics and games. How long have you been writing and how did you get started doing it professionally? So, you know, I guess that this is one of the things with writing is that everybody writes in this day, day and age, right? So when you say, you know, when did you start writing? I mean, you know, I've been writing since I was a little kid. You know, usually we refer to that in like a professional capacity um, or, or when did you first try to do it in a, in a professional capacity? And that was in in the late 90s I was in my early 20s and I was just basically was literally walking down a street in Manhattan and I was like okay uh, I saw the sign of where I was on the west side and I said you know what I'm gonna write a comic book with this with this character with this street name it was Barrack Street and I said yeah I think I'm gonna do that and I'm gonna start a, uh, a comic company 
And that's what I did. That was my beginning into what would snowball and become, you know, writing for a living. Nick, as a writer, who and or what are your biggest inspirations? Um, I think as a writer, you take inspiration wherever you can find it. And I think it's really it's life. It's everyday life. It's everything. I mean, everybody has a handful of authors that they love to read and that they find their work inspiring. But um, as far as for creating your own work, I, I really think you find it everywhere. Um, who was it? I think it was in, in Peter David's book on writing. That was one of the, if I remember correctly, it was like one of the opening chapters. And some reader had asked him, you know, like, where do you get your stories from? And he was like, Schenectady. He's like, all my stories come from Schenectady. There's a little office and, and they send me ideas in the mail and I, I go to my PO box and get them. And that's what I write. I thought that was really funny. I mean, so, it so it, it comes from everywhere, you know, it's I mean, it could be a, a bad situation that you find yourself into, um, you know, that gives you the inspiration to tap into that for when you're writing a villain or something like that. Or, you know, it comes from everything it comes from all the media you see, all the books you read. And uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit about your writing process. How do you take that initial idea and turn it into, say, a full comic script? OK, so I actually wrote a book on this um, Storycraft for comics, and uh, it's a it's a digital book on my website and I break down my process literally from start to finish and it's funny because I get contacted a lot of times from people on, on projects or potential projects and I always tell them like one of the first things I tell them is like you know if, if you want me to come in and help you with this story I mean, I'm happy to do that no matter what. But if you really want a primer and you want to try and do some stuff on your own, you know, just go read my book because I literally explain the process. And it's funny because so many people, they don't really think that I use that process that's in that book. They think it's maybe just something I wrote, you know, to pitch and sell and whatever. I'm like, no, that's literally how I write my stories. It's a long process. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot to it. It's a little difficult to break down in just a couple seconds, but I'm definitely an outliner. I believe that's that's key to pretty much anything that you're going to put to paper. You really have to, to plot and uh, strategize what you want to say, where you want to go, why you're trying to say it. I'm a big believer that the more time you spend at the beginning, the less time you spend uh, later on. And in fact, I, I tell people a lot, writing is actually the, uh, the fastest part of the process. When you actually sit down to write a script. Yeah, I talk to some other writers sometimes who are uh, pantsers. They fly by the seat of the pants. And I'm just like, I don't know how you can do that bad. I'm, I'm an outliner, too. I want to know everything that's happening before it happens. Well, you know, it's crazy. And, and I mean, there's nothing, you know, people should write the way that they want to write what they're comfortable with. But what I've always found and I encounter these people all the time online. It, people will get stuck. They'll get blocked. They'll get what they call writer's block, which you know I don't really believe exists. But they'll get stuck. They'll get blocked. They'll have troubles. They'll have issues. And these are the people that pants. These are the people who don't basically don't get any kind of map to know where they're going. Right. And then even the ones that fly by the seat of their pants and and pull it off and get to the end, you'll find most of the time those people have a lot, lot, lot more editing. Um, those kind of pantsers, uh, you know, generalization here, but those are those kind of pantsers will usually support what they call the vomit draft, which is like, I don't really care what it is, just let's get it out and then I can revise it down and make it better. The way that I write, like I, I hate to, to edit like when I have to edit, right? Like I don't, I don't want to do 30 drafts of my novel. Like that drives me nuts. So I, I don't believe in the, the vomit draft process and, you know, just having to go back and re-edit, re-edit, re-edit. I mean, I just get sick of it by you know, draft number 15. I'm like, please, no more. It's a great story, but I'm done. <laughs> 
And when you're writing, do you tend to write freehand with a uh, pen and paper or is it all on the computer now? Uh, It's all on the computer. I do actually, I'm a collector of vintage typewriters and my current uh, work in process novel, which is a uh, a noir horror with like, uh, I'll say Lovecraftian influences, but kind of everybody says that now. I'm actually, it's set in the 30s in New York City and I'm actually trying to write that whole thing on one of those vintage typewriters, which is slow going, but it is, you know, it's kind of interesting. Wow. I can't imagine doing that just because uh, when I grew up, my mom had an old typewriter. And I just remember you ever make a mistake on that computers and word processors today. You just press delete, type in the new word or that you want. It was a whole ordeal to do that. Yeah, no, these these guys, if you make a mistake, you just basically keep going. You correct it and keep going. So when you go back, especially with the way I write, it's loaded up with, you know, you, you have to decipher the manuscript a little bit. It's not it's not like a straight transfer over to the digital but, you know, like I say, it's interesting. If I wasn't doing this period piece, I might not be so inclined to do it. But I feel like I'm there, you know, in the time period a little bit when I'm working on it like this. And because it's a horror, you know, I'm trying to get to the vibe. And I don't know. I enjoy it. So I don't mind the little yeah. extra work. Being both the writer and the editor, do you ever work with other outside editors or do you do it every all the editing yourself? So when it comes to this, like, you know, there's a lot of different types of editing. When it comes to the story editing, uh, like what we would call developmental editing, uh, I don't usually turn to outside people for that. Um, I've been doing it long enough where I have a pretty good grasp of where I want to go structurally and and all this stuff. Um, I mean, you can always improve by bringing someone in, but the reality is then, you know, you have costs and, and time considerations and all this other stuff. So I don't usually do that now at this point. But as far as grammar and spelling and all that stuff, you know, for certain, I always bring someone in. To, to do that uh, version of editing because even if you're totally amazing at grammar and spelling which you know I'm not it's very hard to catch all your own errors uh, your, your mind kind of automatically is programmed to fill in blanks and you know recognize patterns and, and you know do stuff subconsciously while you're writing so it's, it's very hard to catch all of that so yeah you pretty much always need another set of eyes at some point yeah it's extremely difficult to do that uh, like you said your mind fills it in you already know what you want to say so whenever I'm going through editing any of my own stuff, I have to read it out loud and make sure that I'm actually catching every single word. Yeah, but even even out loud, because what happens is like, you know, like there, 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 you know, like all the different ways you spell that you'll read it out loud. And it sounds right because it's the it's the right word, but it's just spelled wrong. And, you know, like people will yell at me all the time on social media, like, you know, you spelled you spelled something wrong. And it's like, yeah, I know the difference. I just my brain just screwed up while I was writing it. I just didn't catch it, you know. Yeah, no, and especially and especially on social media, I don't expect anyone to spell anything right there. People are people are ridiculous, though. I mean, you know, they get on that all the time. Yeah, they are. Just so you just so you know, you spelled that wrong. Okay, thanks. (laughs) I think I'm in a unique position here because I think you're the first person that I've had on Under the Mask who actually bills himself as an editor. How important do you think editing is to the full project? Uh, I mean, you know, it's generally it's key. And I think a lot of issues and problems rise up in, the, in indie comics, particularly we're talking here, because, you know, editors, one of the first things people usually cut, you know, they figure, OK, you know, especially if the writer has any amount of experience to like, OK, you know, we don't need an editor. I'm writing it. I'll edit it. And, uh, you 
know, I'll, I'll take care of it. But there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of different perspectives and views that, that an editor brings to the table. Uh, and, you know, that fresh set of eyes, not just in, you know, your spelling and your grammar and whatnot, but in execution. And, and in fact, I was just going over this with someone earlier. It's about when you're writing what you intend to write and put down on paper and then how it transfers. Right. So you may have a scene where like, you know, oh, I want the hero to come across as his total badass and he's going to tell this guy off and this type of thing. Right. But then the scene is actually flat and it doesn't really come across that way. Uh, maybe he comes across arrogant or something like that. Right. So you won't catch that stuff most of the time. I mean, you have to be very well trained and very objective and again, you know, experienced to really be able to step outside your catch all that stuff and make sure your intention is transferring to paper. Whereas an out outside writer, you know, they can pick up on that much easier because they're reading it outside of your perspective. So what they see is, you know, uh, how they interpret it is really pretty much how public is going to interpret it. And, you know, that's that's a big thing. I was speaking to someone and, and uh, they were explaining to me the scene and they were like, well, the reason this and this, I said, wait a second, stop. Don't even don't even start. <laughs> if you have to explain it, it's not working, period, because you don't get a chance to explain your story. You know, if you put it in a book or a comic or a movie, like you don't get a chance to sit there next to the reader or the audience while they're enjoying it and say, OK, now you understand that this is why. Right. That's remember that scene from back there, because and that, you don't get to do that. It has to stand on its own. That's almost a uh, parable in itself. Nobody's going to listen to the audio commentary for the DVD right off the bat. They're going to watch the movie first. Exactly. So and that's what an editor does. And that's actually one of the biggest challenges in being an editor is that you never want to overwhelm the writer's voice with your own voice that you're editing. Right. So like, you know, they're doing their thing and, and they're making mistakes and you want to correct those mistakes. But it's very easy to correct them into what you want to write as an editor. Right. Like, oh, OK, I would write it like this. So let me change that. You don't want to do that. You want to let them keep it in their voice and let them be their own writer. But at the same time, you want to make sure they understand what the issue is in and try to get them to fix that issue. All right. Well, we've learned a lot about your process here. Why don't you tell us about your latest project, Peerless? Okay, Peerless. Um, inspired by the Warriors, there was a few like major inspirations to this series. But uh, you know, the seventy, I think it was seventy nine movie, The Warriors with the gangs in New York City. Uh, like directly inspired by that. Big Trouble in Little China, huge influence. Game of Death. Uh, you know, all the classic Bruce Lee movies, the, Sh the Shaw Brother movies, all those Saturday afternoon kung fu theaters. If you remember as a kid. Um, you know, just a crazy dubbed over the top uh, Kung Fu flicks. And so what we have here is there are these five, what do I want to call them? Well, they call the Fists of Fate. So they're the five Kung Fu warriors in China and they kind of fight evil, you know, whatever evil comes up in China. And I'm not going to go into the backstory of the of the series, but this young 20-something girl from the South Bronx, Kiara, she winds up going to China, training with them. She knows some people who know some people and she becomes one of these five Fists of Fate. So she becomes this total badass Kung Fu master. So her boyfriend, she gets into a romantic relationship with another fist uh, of fate. And he comes to New York City for something that we don't disclose right away. And then he disappears. The whole story is she comes to New York City to find him. She finds out in the process that their arch nemesis, this other eagle, uh, evil kung fu master guy, has come to New York City and he's gotten mixed up with the triads who are, uh, you know, the Chinese mafia in, in New York at that time in the 70s. This takes place in New York in 1977 and um, there's a lot of historical stuff mixed into it, like the historical blackout, which takes place during a big chunk of the series. So she has to face this guy who 
is basically uniting all the city gangs against uh, the South Bronx and then ultimately against her. And, uh, you know, very much direct, like uh, influenced directly from the Warriors, her and her, her group of allies have to fight their way through all these crazy gangs, through the triads and, you know, through this uh, Kung Fu master and his specific group of crazy Kung Fu dudes. And uh, she's got to try and fight her way through all these guys and rescue, you know, her man. And that's what the story is. It being set in the 70s New York, how did you strike the balance between historical facts and uh, taking liberties on that with the fiction? Um, so, I mean, there's there's not too much that we had to worry about. I mean, you know, locations and as far as the artistic direction, that was probably the biggest thing of it. Because we're in the South Bronx, we're in locations. A lot of the locations we're in, they're in a historical setting, but the actual location itself is fictional, right? So, like, uh, one of the main characters in it is this guy named Valentine. He's actually the guy who was the mentor to Kiara when she was a kid. And he is a Vietnam vet and he owns a bar in the South Bronx. So a lot of stuff happens in his bar and, you know, there's a bunch of scenes there and stuff. But of course, that bar is totally fictional. So that like the setting that everything is in and there are you know certain locations like in the first issue, we have a, a scene that takes place in the South Street Seaport. You know, so there's definitely, you know, historic real locations and we tried to be accurate with all that. Um, but there's also, you know, a lot of fiction stuff to give us creative license within the scope of that. Talking to different writers about doing historical fiction or setting something in history and the differences in how much actual research goes into it, because you said you, you guys did some research but hey a lot of it there's some that's fiction and there was someone else i talked with that they said oh i did extensive research on all of this and then i talked with someone else who says oh i just winged it yeah i mean i guess it, it really depends on how is the historical context affecting the story right and in, and in this case so we have the blackout the blackout is a big deal in the real world con ed said that a lightning bolt hit a transformer in westchester and that's what took out the whole grid of new york for about 25 hours or so Right. And, you know, we say it a different way in the, in our story. We connect that um, event to the main villain, Huli, that evil Kung Fu master. He has an ability to channel lightning. So we tie that together with that. But, you know, as far as historical context, you know, like what I mean, you have your clothes, you have like all the things that influence the tone and the style and the vibe. But like unless certain specific things are going to come and affect the story, it doesn't really need to be super extensive. In other words, if the mayor was going to appear in the story and have like a critical part, if some other events happen that were, you know, specific, like I'm just off the top of my head, like if there was a really bad uh, bank robbery at that time and there were certain people involved in that bank robbery, like those are all details that you would want to research and make sure you get right. But for this, you know, I mean, I'm I'm from New York. I'm born and raised. So I have a instinctive, you know, resource to tap into to kind of remember what things were going on there and stuff. But other than that, I mean, we didn't we didn't go too crazy. Yeah, that's uh, that definitely makes it easier <laughs> yeah i mean I, you know i know what you're talking about so for sure um i wrote a uh, well i actually co-wrote a novel a few years ago based on the king arthur legend and for that i spent i think about three months just reading and researching everything i could about king arthur and, and all those dudes but yeah, for this one, it was it was getting the vibe down right. It was getting the setting down right. It was uh, paying homage to, you know, these different movies, you know, Coffee and Foxy Brown and these these 70s movies that have this like crazy over the top attitude. Uh, you know, that's a lot of the vibe that we wanted to capture and get into this series. And, uh, you know, I think we did it pretty good. And as soon as you go to the Kickstarter page, you see it. The the very first thing that's up there uh, just made me think of an old 70s film. 
you sat down, you wrote the script. The script is done. How did you find your art team? So, so actually, I'll just rewind it a little bit because I don't, I, you know, I don't want to take credit where credit's not due. My co-creator, Chris Morin, he actually conceptualized this whole thing. The way that I got involved in this project is he was reaching out for editorial help, and uh, he sent it to me. And you know, I started making some comments on it, and you know, giving him some feedback. And as I was, uh, I mean, the first time I read the script, I was really taken by it. First of all, you know, it was, mm-hmm. it, you know, I'm a huge Warriors fan, and it was, you know, kung fu, not superheroes. Superhero stuff is great, but in my line of work, you see that so often. So it was really refreshing to, you know, have this new angle. I basically make a long story short. I came back to him and while we were going in editorial process and I said, look, man, I said, I I really love what's going on here and I would love to help you develop it because, you know, it, it needed a bunch of work. Um, he was early on and when, when he had contacted me and uh, I said, I can just, you know, you can just hire me and I'll do the work. But um, also, if you want to consider it, I would be happy to come on and, uh, you know, co-create with you and you know, work with you on it. And that's what we did. You know, he, he thought about it for a while and he said, OK, let's do it. Um, and then as far as the art team, so Pablo Pepino, I don't know if you know his work from Skies of Fire. You, I'm not too fam- I'm not too familiar with it. No. I saw that book on Kickstarter, man, I, I want to say it was like five years ago. I don't remember exactly, but it was something like that. And I just stumbled upon that Kickstarter and Skies of Fire was, I, I think they just finished the last issue, or at least for the first arc or whatever. But it is like, I, I believe it's a fantasy world, but it's like giant blimps, um, like uh, military blimps shooting at each other and stuff, you know, this type of thing. And, you know, it almost looked like, and, and his work does has have that kind of feel, like a studio Ghibli type movie and uh, I saw this Kickstarter for it years ago and I said oh man this looks amazing I gotta back this and I backed it and and it was a great great series everything that I got uh, was really impressive and his work I contacted him right away actually and I said to him hey man if you ever I caught him on social media and I said if you ever want to work on something together I'm like you have a really beautiful visual storytelling style right it's not just about the art itself the art itself is detailed and, and really nice but just you have this cinematic your camera angles and stuff and it's all really really great and I'd love to work with you and that was kind of the opening of the door to our friendship which has gone on for you know few years online and stuff and people you know people often ask about finding artists and they overlook that simplest thing what i just explained is like if you find a good artist obviously you can't go call alex ross and be like dude you're a good artist can we work on something you know but if you if you if you find a good artist in an indie book you know you can reach out to them and just you know let them know that uh you really appreciate their work and you know you don't you don't have to even plan like oh 10 years from now we're gonna work together but just you know let them know and start a relationship because you never know how that's going to work out. And then when this project came along, uh, we, you know, we were looking for somebody and um, I ran it past Pablo and I was, I've, I've run a couple projects past Pablo over the you know last few years. And he's generally just been so busy and he's just been like, Oh, I don't really have time, you know, and I, I'd like to work with you too, but you know, with just my commitments and blah, 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 blah. And then with this one, he said, well, let's see, hold on a second. Uh, I like this. <laughs> that's basically what he said. And then, you know, we put it together and he came on board and and wait, wait before you chop me off because i no, i always want to give the uh the colorist credit too right because it's easy to kind of overlook i mean everybody on the team has their you know their input and their value and it's comics is probably the most collaborative meeting your medium you're ever going to work in um damien penalba if i'm saying his name right excellent colors he was uh somebody that pablo knew and recommended and so far he hasn't let us down i don't know if you saw the page when we updated some of the color pages on there the color work on it's amazing yeah he's he's good 
we're not doing standard colors that you would find in every average comic. You pick it up and there's like, you know, a very, we'll say, busy color palette where everything is colored realistic. Like if I look around in my office here, I could throw up from all the different colors I see, right? But in, in Peerless, we're specifically going for very limited colors um, to have this very kind of like high, uh, like design, like high color theory uh, feel to it, right? So it's working out. I think it's working out really good though. Yeah, no, uh, that's one of my big takeaways I had from uh, when I started out just taking in a bunch of stuff. One of my biggest uh, books, my early influences was uh, Brian Michael Bendis. And in his book, Words for Pictures, one of the things that he says is these are your collaborators. Your artist is not your art monkey. He is a collaborator with you. And I really took that to heart. Yeah, absolutely. And this is why it's good to or, or paramount to find good people. The final product becomes more than any of the individual pieces and it's, it becomes more than what the original vision was, right? So you really have to find like not just good people that are talented in what they do, but that have a passion and um, an interest in the project and, you know, really want to put the project above their maybe their own individual role in it, if that makes sense. You're listening to the Under the Mask podcast with Bill Colomb. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Imagine you're developing superpowers, but your city already has a hero. That hero's kind of a jerk, he doesn't really care, and you think you can do a better job. Thank you for listening to the Under the Mask podcast. I'm your host, Bill Colomb, and when I'm not hosting this podcast, I'm also the writer of my very own superhero comic, Kinetic. Kinetic is an action-packed coming-of-age story with great art and, if I don't say so myself, a great story. But don't take my word for it. Go check Kinetic out free. All you have to do is go to ycomics.net slash free. That's ycomics.net slash free. Now, Peerless is set up. I think you said it was an eight issue miniseries. It's eight issues. And, if you know, funny story is that that's probably the first thing I tell all new comic creators. Is I'm, like, I'm like, go small. And in fact, I don't know if we, we talk about tips or later or whatnot. But, yeah, you got to go small. I wouldn't advise people to do eight issues on the first on the first go round, but this story is so deep and there's so much to it. We couldn't have done it in less than eight issues. And not only that, you know, this this whole series, like I say, is influenced on 70s Kung Fu, right? The Shaw Brother movies and all that stuff. The fighting, you know, all, all the fighting that we do in the series, we, we choreograph this fighting and this is using real Kung Fu techniques. You know, we're not the scripts when we pass them over to Pablo. It doesn't say, you know, Kiara kicks the bad guy next panel la 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 right in fact i was i was yelling at him not too long ago uh because he delivered a page and the kick was completely wrong and i was like dude it was a hook kick and you gave a forward kick you gave a straight kick no what is this come on we gotta get it right so yeah it's all um choreographed and it's and it's real what we're trying to do as much as we can you know real kung fu moves and, and stay true to technique and form and all this stuff and when you have that focus you can't do the fights justice if you spend like one page on a fight right 
you know, even if you look at most of like the marble fights, um, you know, they'll, they'll have people bash each other for like a little bit and then they'll kind of resolve. But these old style Kung Fu movies, they were, it was almost like a story to itself in each fight. And it, and it was like a choreographed dance and that all that stuff is what made it so cool. Like you would watch these fights and the guys would do these moves that you would never saw coming. You were like, oh my God, how did he just do that? That was amazing. So we're trying to capture all that in the fight scenes and you can't do that, you know, in, in a four issue miniseries. There's just no way to do it. What have been the biggest obstacles or challenges that you faced in your writing and editing career? Inconsistent work, you know, as a freelance writer, you sort of have to get used to that. Our society with the social media and stuff, it's so it's so much easier if you're a writer. I'm uh, sorry, if you're an artist, because if you're an artist, you can do your drawings and post them on social media and they'll get a million views in two seconds. Right. But when you're a writer, you can't even you know, you can't even really post clips of your writing, because if someone writes or someone reads a tweet of your writing, it's not that impressive. Like you have to read volume to really understand the context and, and get the feel of it and stuff. So, I mean, that's a big obstacle is trying to get noticed and get attention in a, a world that's visual and, and not textual yeah no as uh, writers we can't post up say a written script and say oh look at this or as an editor you can't post up your a script that you've put the red yeah. into all day yeah i mean you the, the people's attention span you know like unless there's someone specific that is you know coming to look at your work i mean of course as a portfolio they do that but but just i'm just saying just in the context of um tweets and facebook posts and stuff like so many people and so many artists i know they actually get work from posting up their work and then people see it and they're like God, that's great. I'm, uh, you know, are you available? Can I do, can you do a commission? Right. But for a writer, that's, uh, you don't, we don't have that luxury. It doesn't, it doesn't really work like that. And, um, and every, in every facet as a writer, you know, like if you turn to contests or uh, this other stuff, there's just so much competition and there's so much, there's so much more of a challenge to get noticed. Uh, so I would definitely say that that was, that's one that's difficult to, uh, deal with, especially when you're first starting out. Yeah. That, that ring definitely rings true for me. Yeah. And, and I, I don't really have too much of a solution for that. You just have to kind of put your, you have to put your work out there. You have to um, create your portfolio. I actually just saw a post the other day on one of the Facebook groups where some writer was wanted to hire out, you know, he's hiring himself out to write even at a low page rate, but he didn't post any work. And I, and I commented and I was like, look, you have to make a website, a free website. That's fine. And you have to put up some of your, your work as, you know, showing what you can do. And even if it's not published work, it doesn't matter. You know, at any potential employer they're not really going to care if it's published or not they're just going to care what the quality is so you can even do fan fiction um you know just show what you can do show show how you write your style and your voice and your range and all that stuff and then let people find you and take a look and you just gotta you know grind at it until you, you get enough of the opportunities and uh, kind of to piggyback on that for a little bit what has been the biggest mistake that you've made Oh, this is another another good one. Okay, so I would say the biggest mistake that I have made is going too big, uh, which sort of goes back to the issue count that we were just talking about. I think, you know, for an experienced crew doing eight issues is fine. But when you're just starting out, you want to go as small as you can. I can remember when I was um, first starting out in the late 90s and I was putting together my comics for the first time and, you know, making my little indie company. And that and in the late 90s, that was really before the Internet opened it up for everybody to do it. So I was still a little bit of a pioneer in that in that part. I had this crazy idea. Now, this wasn't my goal. Like, 
I didn't set out like, oh, I'm going to compete with Marvel and DC and I'm going to be this great comic mogul. And like, that wasn't really what I was shooting for. I didn't actually think that was going to happen, but that's kind of what I was shooting for, right? Like I, I was working on all these different titles at once. I was hiring all these different people. I was juggling all these different things. And I was basically mimicking what the big guys were doing, right? Like they, the big guys had all these resources and assets and money and had been doing it for, you know, 150 years, 100 years, whatever it was. And I was trying to copy them. And it's the dumbest thing to do. And I tell that to people all the time now. And um, for some reason, I guess it's inspiration and passion. It's that so many people go that route. You constantly see people, you know, posting online where they're like, I have this vast universe and I'm going to do my initial 300 page graphic novel. And, you know, I have 30 characters to introduce. They're constantly going too big. And when you go too big, you basically are not necessarily assuring that you're going to fail, but you're making it so, so much harder. Uh, so that was the biggest mistake that I made. And I did too much. I only got one one book of this, you know, all the different titles that I was working on. I only got one out actually to market. It did pretty good, but ultimately it, it just fell apart because I, I was spread too thin and I didn't have the experience and knowledge to really know what I was doing. So don't do that. Don't go big. Go small. You know, focus on as small as you can. And in fact, when people say I have this whole big universe and blah, 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 I say, we'll take one character, one little story, do it as a short, do it as an anthology um, submission, do it as just the smallest thing you can manage to do. And then if people like it, you do more. Flipping the script because we talked about, hey, your biggest challenges. We also talked about uh, your biggest mistake. What has been your best moment in your career? Um, so the abstract answer is, uh, you know, like inspiring people. Um, I really think, you know, our, our visit here is short, you know, and especially in the creative fields as, as writers, if you really pay attention to it, the window is typically really short. You don't really get the experience um, to really, really do good stuff until, you know, much later on. And, you know, you just you just don't have the window to to produce um, as you do in some of the other industries. But if you can inspire someone with your work um, and, and basically pass the torch, right, to keep momentum going, I mean, really, that's what indie comics is as it's as what it is right because all these people were inspired by marvel and dc and, and the big guys that were, were doing it when they were you know as kids and they're, they're trying to do their own thing now and i think i think we would both agree that indie is probably where the future is as we see the uh the, the big industry kind of falling apart depending on who you talk to i would definitely say that independent comics have never been more viable than they are right now yeah yeah, 100%. And so so that's that's why I say I think uh, inspiring people. And I, and I get those emails, you know, fairly often, um, you know, people read my books or they implement. I mean, that's one of the best is when they come, they email me and say, hey, I, I picked up a publishing contract, you know, after revising my script based on your websites and your books and stuff. So that's huge just to see people being successful, you know, through my help. And um, if they read stories and I'm, of mine and it inspires them to go do their own stuff, that's great. And that's the abstract answer. The not so abstract answer would be uh, my best moments not here yet. Maybe somebody that hears this podcast uh, in charge of Thundar or Ghostwriter, which are the only two IPs from other people that I really have any interest in doing anything with. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe they hear and then they give me a call and then maybe that would be my best moment. What is the best advice that you can give to someone coming up? Yeah, I mean, I think we probably touched on a, a few of the things. 
you know, you have to be passionate and, and honest, especially in this day and age with all the craziness that's going on. I think to help you stay focused, you have to stick to that. Uh, and the other thing is you have to have fun. Uh, a lot of times people get bogged down when they're writing and they start to lose track of like they literally it's like they're sitting down to do like advanced calculus or something and they're really just writing a comic and but they're so stressed out and worried that they're not doing it right or that it's not coming out the way they want it just becomes this mess of a thing and whenever you whenever you lose the fun of doing it the reader is going to lose the fun of doing it so you really gotta you really gotta hold on to that and you have to figure out techniques and uh, ways to write that allow you to really enjoy it and i know a lot of people won't agree with that advice they'll be like well no it's writing's your job it's your work it doesn't matter if you enjoy it, you just have to write but i can tell you from my experience you know my writing is way 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 much better when i'm enjoying the story and enjoying what i'm putting to paper and when i'm uh when I'm bored with it, when something's not working or the mechanics are off a little bit or something and I'm drifting and bored, I know as I'm doing that, that it's not going to translate well to the page and that it's, I'm basically just wasting my time because in the end I'm going to cut it. Yeah. I definitely feel like if someone on the creative team is bored, how does that person plan to keep somebody who's actually planning to read it from being bored? Yeah. And that's, and okay. So this is uh, another tip. See, the reality is like, it's so complex. There's so much that you can talk about. But the other thing is that um, when people start off, they often have this idea of their concept or their characters. A lot of times it's around the main character, right? And then they have like later on in the series or the story that they have planned, they have this really cool stuff that happens to the character or, or the plot or whatever it is, right? But then they put out this first issue and none of that cool stuff happens in this first issue. Because first we have to set up some stuff that's going on. And then and then we'll get to the cool stuff in like the second or the third or the fourth issue or something like that. And I always say to these folks, you may never get there. You know, you're so focused on this long-term expression of of your story, but you may never get to those issues. If the, if the readers don't love issue one and follow you through, then you're never going to get there. So don't save your best stuff for later in the issues. You got to figure out how to get all that good stuff that you love and that's really fun and that, you know, engages and captivates. You have to get that all in your first issue. That is advice that I've heard and advice that I've given on to a lot of people. Yep. Uh, really quick before we close out, I just wanted to follow up because you had said something a little earlier just about, you know, starting small, keep, keep your work small. And I've got to say probably the most heard advice I hear from actual experienced people do a small two page, do a small four page story. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to say, because you brought it up too with, hey, start small. Don't start with, you know, your 300 page opus. Everybody says that, but I think the reasoning doesn't get said out loud a lot. And the reasoning behind starting small or staying small and not going super huge on your first project, it's a lot easier to finish a two page story than it is to finish a 300 pager. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's everything. Everything about production is exponentially uh, complicated. The bigger you go, it's just that simple. And people, people miss that part. I actually had somebody contact me not too long ago, like a month ago or something. And they asked me what my rate was for editing. Right. And I, and I think I threw out $20 a page for whatever this project was. Right. And they were like, okay, well, my script is 300 pages. And they were like, so what would the what would the cost be? And I'm like, well, $20 times 300. And they were like, oh my God, there's no way I could do that, right? So it's like, if you started off with a 20 page book, you're looking at, you know, 
a fraction of the cost. Your need for a a successful book doesn't change the fact that this monster project is going to take a monster effort to produce. Right. It's just it just it doesn't it doesn't change. It doesn't work. So unless you're rich, you know, stay away from it. I had to open up my calculator and say, oh, 20 times 300. Yeah, that's uh, it's quite a load of change. Yeah. But I mean, but you're talking about months of work, you know, and and, and I mean, even if you forget about the editor and, and the rate that I threw out there, you know, just think of the artist. You know, if it takes an artist eight hours to do a, a penciled single page and then you go from a 20 page thing that could be done to, done in a month or so. And then the 300 page thing, you know, I mean, it's insane. It's an insane amount of work, even if the artist one page per day it would take just about a year to get that out right and then and then everything else the colors and the letter like everything is astronomically more difficult to do and then there's also the obvious that okay look let's say you manage to do this 300 page thing and you love it and you put it out there but let's say the public hates it the public is not interested let's say you did <clears throat> mouse man and toilet boy toilet boy so that sounds great to you it's the funniest thing ever but the public just you know okay they don't really care so then what do you do You've invested like years and all this money and it's just something that didn't resonate with the audience. Yeah, there it is. There it is. I, I, I got nothing <laughs> I can even follow. Up that. <laughs> hey, Nick, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Go check out Peerless. It's live on Kickstarter right now. You can find it at peerlesskungfucomic.com. Nick, where else can we find you on the net? Uh, my name, my website, uh, nickmccary.com. I've got a, another little website. Uh, it's called Story to Script uh, with T-O, Story, T-O, Script, uh, dot com, And that's like a paid member thing where I go into more advanced stuff and it's like five bucks a month or whatever it is. And those are my two spots. Hey, Nick, thank you again for coming on and chatting with me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate it. Thanks, Bill. If you know a creator that makes comic books or any other media and think they'd be a good fit for the show, drop us a line at underthemaskshow at gmail.com. You've been listening to the Under the Mask podcast with Bill Colomb. Welcome to the family. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you've found the right podcast for you. Thanks for listening, and make sure to like or leave a review. And we'd appreciate it if you'd tell a friend or two. To reach out, visit us at underthemaskpodcast.com. This has been a presentation of Why Comics. Till next time, this is the Under the Mask Podcast, signing off. Under the Mask.